0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning to you. Uh, So glad that you are here at City on a Hill. My name is Tom Richter. If I haven't yet had the chance to meet you or to get to know you, Uh, I am a guest here at City on a Hill, but it has become for me like family. Uh, I am a pastor of a church in Queens, and our church meets in the evening. And so, uh, God willing, I'll be back there tonight to uh, be with them. But this morning, we're here together, and I am continuing what uh, uh, James began last week, if you were here, opening a series on heaven. And James talked about how it's really an understudied and maybe even undervalued part of the christian understanding of life but it's so fundamental right it is elemental to our uh, this is what what we're looking forward to this christian's hope and heaven and so as we were talking about this i said james you know i i hear you man and i want to be a team player i'm glad to do it if you're going to start a series on heaven and i'm coming on march 10th and i'm coming on march 17th then man i'm going to preach on heaven like no no two bones about it but uh, on the other hand I'm not really, I don't feel like God has done with me in the teaching that, we, that I started weeks ago on how to be rich. And I, if you were there for that, I talked about, you know, this sort of tongue-in-cheek sermon, how to be rich. And I simply made the point that we're all rich. And, uh, and so I want to preach on laying up treasures. And you want to preach on heaven. And he was like, Tom, lay up treasures in heaven. And I was like, swish, that's it. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, I want to, um, uh, share with you from first Timothy chapter six, and then we're going to go to Luke 12 and come back to first Timothy. I don't normally try to do that. One text is enough for one day, but will you do that? Will you indulge me? Will you turn to first Timothy chapter six? We'll start there in verse 17, and then we're going to use Luke 12 to illustrate it and come right back and finish with first Timothy chapter six. So, uh, does, uh, can I control? Oh, okay. I have the power. All right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're Irish here, yeah, I did this for you. So it's Traveler's Guide to Heaven Part 2, but it's like, yeah, there you go. Part 2. Happy St. Pact. All right, First Timothy 6, and we'll look at 17 through 19, okay? See what, yep, thought I'd put them up there. Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world. Oh, do I need to stop right there? Just quick, super quick refresher. Yeah. Command those who are rich in this present world, to which everybody went, "Whoo, that's not me. Right? That's somebody else in here. And I won't re-preach the sermon that I gave uh, several weeks ago, but basically, that is you. Okay? And from a global perspective, I think I read the statistic was if you make $45,000 in this country, that's like the median income. If you make $45,000, you're the top 4% of wage earners in the planet. Right? Uh, there's a great story about a reporter who's in India, in this uh, part of India that's very, very poor... And Bill Gates was going and traveling around and doing his humanitarian work. He, he pops in on this particular... And a reporter's following and everything. Sits down, talks to her. You know, he's trying to spend... You know, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, gazillionaire. He's trying to figure out what, what's the best way to encourage other gazillionaires around the world. You remember this. He took a you know, world tour. What's the best way I can be a, and, uh, a philanthropist? And a philanthropist. And he walks out. And the reporter asks the woman in that little, you know, uh, 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 dwelling there. Do, do you know who that was? Um, that... That was the richest, that's the richest man on the planet. And this was her response. Translated in English, this is what she said. Well, he's from the West. Everyone there is rich. Now let me tell you something. To her, if you walked in right after Bill Gates, she would say, eh, same. Now you're looking at your life going... Not the same, all right? Like, not even close, right? But there comes a point where it's like billion, trillion, gazillion, schmillion, blah, blah. It's, all right? To her, from her perspective, you're rich. Again, I, I'm, I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do, which is re-preaching the man. But basically, I spent this 30-minute sermon explaining to people that we are rich. Somebody's looking at you going rich, just as you're looking at somebody else going rich. And so these verses are for somebody. They're for us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich, but be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, and this is for our purposes today, so I put it up on the screen. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In this way... Okay, in what way? Well, uh, uh, Paul is teaching young Timothy here. He's mentoring him, and he's saying... Tell these rich people that they don't feel rich necessarily. Uh, and that's for many of us. We, you know, Nobody left here three weeks ago and was like, yeah, I'm rich. Tom told me I was rich. That's great. That's great news. Because you don't feel rich. And so he says, Everybody's, every, every day somebody's telling you how to get rich. But these pas- this passage is how to be rich. If you ever cross that magical line from not rich to rich, here's how to be rich. And he says, do good. Be rich, but be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. And as you do that, he says, in this way, you'll do something interesting. Lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. There are several parts of this verse that may be a a head-scratcher for you. If you're new to church, okay, or if you're new to Bible study, there are several things in here that may cause you to go, huh? Uh, For one thing, for, for example, one of them is this whole idea of lay up treasure for themselves, Um, you need to understand, Paul is dipping into this massive volume of teaching that Jesus did on this very concept. He even, Jesus uses this very phrase in his teachings, lay up treasures in heaven, lay up for yourselves treasures where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so Paul is sort of, with a sort of glancing, tangentially, he's saying, hey, Timothy, you know that whole thing Jesus taught about treasure and all that stuff? Yeah, we're talking about that. We're talking about that thing. And that may be confusing for several reasons. For one, this is confusing mathematically. Because people, especially who are new to the Bible, if you don't understand that massive volume of teaching Jesus did about treasure, then people will look at this, and the first thing, they'll say it's confusing mathematically. What Paul is saying is, give away treasure, and in this way, you'll get treasure. And right there, you go... I'm not a math person, but it seems to me um, subtracting treasure is not the same as adding treasure, right? Uh, So what could he mean there? Uh, The other thing is it's a little bit confusing because he says uh, in, well, in verse 17, for example, command those who are rich in this present world, right? And here he talks about a firm foundation for the coming age. If you're new to the scriptures or if you're new to church, even that's a little confusing. You're like, command those who are rich in this present world. Oh, okay. Well, what of the world is there? You know, uh, uh, people say stuff like this all the time, and it, it, it it's sort of uh, funny if you just stop and think about what they're saying literally. But uh, I've heard people say like, "Well, you know, I'm just hey man, I'm just looking at this from a perspective. I, you know, I'm just I'm just talking as a human being, and I always want to stop. I'm like, well. Yeah, exactly. Like you an alien life form suddenly and then you're coming back from the perspective, right? You know? Or I've, man, I'm I'm just trying to be real for a minute. I'm just trying to be real. <laughs> I've been an animatronic who's a cartoon recently, but I'm I'm trying to be real. Oh, maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's funny. That's fine. I'll move on. <laughs> All right, how about this? When a politician says, "Look, let's talk honestly for a minute." You know? <laughs> well, "What have you been doing?" "I've been lying, right? But now no, I'm going gonna... to talk honestly for a minute." Uh, but but you just get a minute. Now, it uh the last thing that may be most confusing, especially for Christians, is all right. So if I'm generous and I'm willing to share, in other words, I give away money on this earth and I share stuff on earth. If I give stuff away on this earth, I'm somehow laying up treasures in heaven. And this is really uh, uh, to to our purposes today, talking about heaven. What do we do with this whole idea of there will be rewards in heaven and I'm storing up treasures in heaven? Like, isn't that a isn't that a little selfish? You know, like should we even be considering that? Like, like, there's treasures in heaven and there's rewards in heaven. I don't know. Like, I don't, Is that wrong for me to even think about? Should I store up for myself treasures in heaven? Is that, is that kind of selfish? And we'll uh, address that issue as well. But to do that, I think we have to back up. I don't want to assume that everybody's here on this. And we have to talk about Jesus' massive teaching on treasure. And, uh, and to do that, that's why I'm going to have you in just a minute turn to Luke chapter 12 to illustrate. There's lots of places we could go to talk about Jesus' teaching on treasure. Uh, but simply first, let's just define the word treasure. Uh, what do I mean by treasure? Here's what I think treasure is. Because when you hear the word treasure, many of us thinking yard, you know, and the blooms and all that stuff. Uh, you may not have a treasure chest buried somewhere in your backyard, but I think you have treasure if you define it simply in this way. This is what I think treasure is. Treasure is all your necessities are met and anything, I'll call it um, overflow. How's that? Anything that's overflow is treasure. Right? And still you're going, you might be saying, well, I don't have any treasure. Right? Well, now let's back up. What is necessary? Right, let's go back to fourth grade civics class for a minute. What is necessary for a human being in terms of standard of living? What is truly necessary? There are things that I think are necessary and they cost money. You ready? Here we go. Food. It costs money. You need it, and so I don't think if you get a little bread every day that somehow that's treasure. That's that's food. Okay, we're not into treasure yet, but food, um, uh, uh, clean water, clothing. Right? I mean, uh, uh, food, clean water, clothing, shelter, transportation, football. There is not a big, li- <laughs> it's not a big list of what's truly necessary in life. Okay. But let me ask you, who's got treasure? Who here has eaten this morning or has the prospect of perhaps eating later today? Okay, good. Yeah, 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 me too. And then some of you just now, like the really spiritual people are like, I'm fasting, but I don't want to alert others. What do I do? Lie? Be prideful. Oh, whoops. My mic fell off because God is angry, joking about fasting. Be serious. Uh. All right, transportation. How many of you were able to get to City on a Hill Church? That's a joke. You're here, but you were somehow able to get here. Now you may you may not know how you're going to get home, but you got here. You somehow some of you have a car, some of you have a bus. You talk about rich people problems. Remember that snowstorm couple? You talk about rich people problems. I had oh, to I had to shovel out both my cars yesterday. <laughs> Listen to yourself talk. You know what I mean? right? Anyway, um, uh, what was the other one? Oh yeah, uh. Uh, shelter, right? You have shelter. Oh, clothing. Raise your hand. Anybody here naked? Raise your hand. I'm making an obvious point. Uh, We do sort of have what we need. So anything beyond that is overflow. Okay. That's treasure. That's treasure. Uh, Think of it this way. Uh, think of a Dixie cup You guys use the Dixie cups Like uh, you know You're in your bathroom Or something And some people will provide These little paper cups So that when you brush your teeth You know you got A little Dixie cup Not a whole lot Dixie cup That's probably about Our standard of living Right? Okay that, that's what we need That's the food Water, clothing, shelter It's in a Dixie cup And um, what will happen Is this God will give us Enough money for food And clothing And shelter And transportation And it's like He pours in If you just imagine Little quarters Or dollars Or, or dimes and pennies And it just fills Fills, fills And that Dixie cup It doesn't take long before God's like, I got you. You're taken care of. You're all set, right? And then what starts to happen is what? Overflow. And this is the magic moment. This is what I'm I'm talking about all day today. The idea of capacity, of barns, of vats, of Dixie cups overflowing. And in that moment, you've got a very interesting choice. You can either say, look at all this overflow, right? What is happening? Or you can do what many of us do, and it's like i got to get a bigger cup, right? And so I go get a 16-ounce cup, right? I go get a solo cup, uh, right? And I go get that. And then I take the Dixie cup and pour it in there. And I go, man, now I can catch this overflow. And then I go get a 32-ounce cup, but it's illegal in my borough. So I go back to the 16- 16... <laughs> But then I go get a vase, right? And I'm like, God, i got to catch all this overflow. And the next thing you know, I've got a trash can I'm wheeling it in. And God, who is blessing me, who just a few months ago or a few years ago, there was a point in your life where if you could have fast-forward and I told you that future you was going to earn the amount of money that future you earned, college you would have gone, I'll quit life and go to the beach.
1: I'll be loaded beyond
0: belief. And yet now that it's happened, you're going, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Why? Because you took the Dixie cup and instead of doing with this overflow and feeling rich and going, man, this is awesome, right? Remember what I told you a few weeks ago? The richest you ever felt was when you were 16 years old and you got that first job at uh, 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 over at. Uh, 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 King Cullen and you're uh, uh, bagging groceries and you just start banking money because you're living with your parents, you got no expenses, and all you're doing is just banking money. It's just like overflow, overflow, right? That's the richest you ever felt. How come you don't feel that way? And what did I tell you? The moral of the story is, if you want to feel rich, move back in with your parents. Like, that's the... (laughs) But you get the point. All we do is just increase our standard of living. We just increase our standard of living. I have more. Now I more. And so we're walking around with these trash cans going, God, what happened to that feeling of overflow? What happened to that blessing? And God's like, dude, if you would go back to Solo Cup, you would instantly be overflowed. Everybody knows this if you ever downside your house. You know that there's a principle in physics that water expands to the volume container it has. And that is true with stuff and garages. And so suddenly you go from this big house and you move in, whatever you're redecorating or whatever it is you're doing, and you move into a three-bedroom apartment, and suddenly you're like, what happened, right? Right? And you suddenly feel sort of rich. You feel like, man, we're overflowing and all that stuff. Does that make sense? Uh, that, that's the simple principle I'm, I'm talking about. And the irony, of course, is the same amount that used to make me feel blessed and overflowing now makes me feel like it's a necessity. And if I'm walking around with a trash can, I look at the bottom and I go, God, why won't you bless me? What's here? And God's going... There's an insane amount of blessing here, but you keep, there's never an overflow point. You can keep doing that forever. Did you know that? Uh, Here's the other thing that's sort of against you. Marketing right now is designed in hopes that you will keep doing that forever. Uh, marketing is an amazing thing. And I I have a lot of respect for people that market this, especially with technology right now. Because they have to do two things. They have to have a marketing department that tells you, you are unhappy and you are incomplete until you get this phone. Right, You can't have happiness. You are incomplete, but you can buy it right, or lease it or whatever. Like You can have happiness, and those people have to tell you this is the thing that will solve your life's problem. And then one year later, they need a suicide department to crush that product right? because no longer will the very thing I just told you will solve your life. No, no, no. You need this 2.0, right? And the very same people who have to market have to then destroy what they've done. So you have to be great at marketing, but you can't be too great, you see, um, uh, that happens, and there's a million ways to illustrate that. So, like, when does that end? When will we ever again get to the point of overflow? And it just occurred to me that I told you I was going to have you turn from First Timothy 6 to Luke 12, but I realized I got I to go in. I can't just get from First Timothy 6 to Luke 12, because Luke 12 is about barns. I got to tell you how I got there, and that's Proverbs 3. So I'm really not trying to confuse you here. I even put it up on the screen. But, 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 but you got to go to Proverbs 3, chapter 9, and I'll show you, uh, 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 how we get to this overflow. Like, how can I feel this feeling of overflow again? <laughs> Proverbs, chapter, chapter three, yeah. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. If, you, if you're not turning there, it's up here on your screen. L- listen, to this. Proverbs 3 is this amazing chapter, and I just want to connect these dots for you. It, Proverbs 3 is the one, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3 is, is so good. In verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, right? First and best, God will bless. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now let me just connect the dots for you here. What in the world? If I told you, if I showed you just verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, what would you think verse 9 was about? You would say, well, verse 9 is God is going to heap like... ...tons and tons of blessing on you... ...and and God just has to like keep up with your standard of giving... ...God has to keep on increasing... ...it says no, put some limits to that... ...and here's how you put a limit to that... ...honor the Lord with your wealth... ...in other words, that says this... ...God, 100% of what I have is yours... ...100% of what I have is yours... ...and so the first fruits of all your crops... ...touches on a biblical Old Testament principle... ...called tithing... ...and it says, because 100% is yours... I'm going to take the first fruits, this 10%, this tithe, and I'm going to literally give it away. I'm not going to touch it. Right off the top, this is yours. And I can't explain what happens at that semicolon. That semicolon is unreal. In that semicolon is this powerful moment where it's like... like your life takes this uh, takes this capacity. It, suddenly, it's like I'm taking ten percent of this hundred percent that belongs to God. I'm taking ten percent, and suddenly the other nine percent of my finances go. Whoa, this guy's serious. We better snap to attention. I don't even know if I can explain what happens between verse nine and verse ten. But that is a promise that has been true in my life. And people who understand percentage giving, disciplined percentage giving, they would say the same thing. They would say somehow it's not like when I tithe, like. Oh here I give 10% of my money that comes out to whatever uh, you know I made $1000 so I'm giving $100 and then tomorrow 200 will float down from the sky you know it's not like that at all and yet there are people who go I can't explain it but when I started tithing it's almost like my my cup capacity size was like enough, enough. Enough. We're good. Enough. We don't need every single dime. We can live not only in our means, we can live below our means. And hello, we can honor the Lord as the giver of all our means. And suddenly it's like the cup size got appropriately sized. And then the more God blesses me, I suddenly... It's not that maybe He was blessing me. He was maybe already blessing, but I didn't have the capacity to notice it. Does that make sense? It's like we need a way to stop this ever-expanding increase of our style of living. I, um, I will say this... I, there's so much confusion about tithing that even when you bring up the word tithing, some people are like, oh my goodness. There's so much needless confusion. Tithing is not legalistic command. You know, some people say, oh, isn't tithing in the Old Testament? And Aren't we under, aren't we under grace? We're not under law. And all that stuff's true. Uh, some people think of tithing, the giving away of 10% of your income. Some people would think of this as like, and what an unfortunate way to look at walking with Christ. But some people actually think that tithing is like this box to check. And right now I'm giving 5%, and then I'm giving 6%. And one day I'll get to 10 then check the box, and now I'm a good Christian. Right? What a sad way to think about generosity. Um, more accurate would be to say that tithing is the floor, not the ceiling. And we're under grace and not under law. We're free to use tithing as the spiritual discipline that, that helps us understand that it's 100% God's. Uh, one last thing I'll say about tithing that uh, I heard Randy Alcorn say recently. And it really stuck with me. He said, you know, consider this for a moment. Um, um, we are we are under grace and not under law. So yes, technically you are free from uh, from that, you know, legalistic command of tithing. But he says, Are you gonna tell me that we live in this affluent nation? Are you gonna tell me that God's standard for the poor Israelite farmer under Moses was to give 10% of his crops. There's no overflow, man. That's his food. He was to give 10% of his crops to the Lord. And you who have seen the atoning work of Christ on the cross, you who have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you who are on this side of the resurrection, you who are under grace and not under law, are to do less than that poor Israelite farmer. Right? Does that make sense? I really, it really uh, stuck with me. My point is simply this. You can't out give God. And I don't want people to get so hung up on the tithing thing. If it becomes a, a legalistic thing, not at all. I want you to understand this principle. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflow and your vats brim with new wine. Now, am I saying that your standard of living is never to increase? Um, no, but I'll say this. You don't need help with the natural tendency to increase standard of living. Okay? That's all. Uh, I'm not the guy who thinks you. Every single person needs to live in I, a simple example. When, when uh, this happens to a lot of bachelors, when people get married, suddenly they realize standards of living come into. Um, here's what happened. My wife, I, I married uh, this sweet uh, girl from Alabama. We had the wedding, came back from the honeymoon, and then drove in a U-Haul, drove up all those gifts and possessions back to our apartment in New York. <laughs> Can you imagine? You've just been given brand new china, and you're on the BQE in a U-Haul. <laughs> Like, can you go slower? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, that was a, that's a long drive. It's like 20 hours. <laughs> that's just the BQE. But I mean, the, the, the whole drive, the whole drive is a long drive. And so we stopped halfway in West Virginia. And I suddenly realized, it was one of the first times in our marriage, looking back, Jackie and I still laugh about this, that our standards of living, we realized were in, just they were, they were not the same. And my standard, um, when it's late and I'm looking for a hotel, my standard—I mean, this is the goal for a hotel. How cheap can I get a hotel room, right? So I don't call ahead. I don't book. There's no Expedia. I'm driving down the road, trucker style, and I'm going forty-nine ninety-nine as if, right? And I'm—I'm I'm, I'm rolling on, right? I'm waiting till I see thirty-nine ninety-nine, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, that, that's my standard. And so Jackie's watching this, like, th- th- these are all good options, we're passing, you know, and, no, 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 not cheap enough, right? And I pull in, and she's, you know, new bride, and I guess trying to, like, figure out, how do I say this Where We walk into the lobby of this hotel, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and I'm looking around, and to me, it's like, this is going to be a great deal, you know, I can tell. Uh, it's got all the signs, this is going to be a great deal. And, uh, uh, I, you know, it's really late, I remember reaching for coffee, and the guy, I'll never forget, the guy at the counter uh, just looks up as I reach for the coffee, and he says, I wouldn't. <laughs> followed by, not kidding, followed by these exact words. My coffee's older than you know what. <laughs> to this day, I don't know what. I've really thought long and hard about what that what was. And I'm frightened. When we got back in the car, I realized something. My standards for a hotel are simply um, uh, uh, you know, a bed and coffee that won't kill you. Jackie's had. She has whole other standards. Her things are like um, uh, a place where we won't get shot at, or <laughs> things like that. Can I tell you something? My standard of living has upgraded. I now we stay in hotels that have doors facing the inside, not the outside. That's a new thing for me, right? But it's cool. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? I didn't need help doing that. That's my default mode. The problem is what I need help with is to somebody say. As you increase your standard of living, did you ever consider God wants to increase your standard of giving? And sometimes those two things come in conflict. And if you continually just assume God has blessed me so I can increase my standard of living over and over and over again, there'll be no end. Does, does that make sense? So uh, that brings us to uh, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Your barns will be filled with overflowing. Your vats brim over with new wine. Uh, now I think we're ready for this exact illustration and it's great, because now I can take you to Luke chapter 12, and there is um, there is a story where this exact thing happened. Uh, you know, sometimes the Bible will give metaphors, like, you know, about barns and all that stuff, and you think, okay, so I can imagine the metaphor about the barn. But right here, this is literally a story about barns. So I want to I wanna show it to you here. I think I got the next, yeah, there we go. Store up treasures in heaven. Okay, here we go. This parable is uh, Luke chapter 12. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. (laughs) Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, th- 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 this story is unbelievable. Uh, I, before we get to what God does next, we've got to examine some of these things. This guy, uh, can you go back to the very first slide there? I'm having a little trouble uh, with the remote clicker. That's it. Perfect. He told them this parable. The first thing I want you to notice, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So right from the beginning, who gave the rich guy the crops? Isn't that something? It doesn't say a rich man, through the sweat of his own brow, got richer. It says this rich man, the ground of this rich man produced the good crop. It came from God. And so in a sense... It's like God is taking, the, and it also says, the ground of a certain rich man. In other words, this harvest didn't make him rich. He was already rich. He was already a dude who had overflow in his life. And then God heaps additional overflow on him. And next slide. And he asks this question. Whatever shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, remember, there are poor people all around him. Okay? And he literally has an overflow of food. Poor people, hungry people, overflow of food, and he scratches his head. Whatever shall I do? Well, why not throw a huge banquet where you feed a bunch of poor people, right? Or why don't you, hello, use this overflow? That is so obvious to you and me. Except when we're living it. Then suddenly we can't see it. Next slide. He says, aha, this is what I'll do. God has overflowed my life, so obviously he wants me to hoard more and to take more. So he tears down the barns, builds bigger barns, and there says he can store all his grain and all his goods. All right? Should have been obvious, but we treat our stuff as if it's for our consumption. And so God said to him, oh yeah, yeah, and then he says, I'm literally going to increase my standard of living. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Now he wasn't a fool for being rich. Who helped him get rich? It was God who made him rich. He doesn't say he was a fool for being rich. He said he didn't know how to be rich toward God. He said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Uh, And that's sort of a scary warning, a scary ending. And then he ends with verse 21. Can, Can you move it to verse 21 for me? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Uh, This is a a serious warning, this parable. Jesus is saying, again, you're not a fool for being rich. You're foolish because you didn't know how to be rich toward God. And here God, you know, calls him out on it. And this is how it will be. Now, um, I I said a few weeks ago that we are rich. And, um, you know, we're trying to think sort of at a a high altitude of this stuff. I, I said that some people will put their trust in money. It's funny. When you're poor and you're starting out, you don't put your trust in money. Right? You say, oh, God, I need you. God, I'm in college right, I'm destitute, right, I'm just starting out, or I don't have the money yet for college, or I, I'm really, truly poor, and then what happens, God blesses you with some stuff, and little by little, you start to put your hope in money, right, little by little, as you get more wealth, you put your hope in money, and then one day, you're going to be on your deathbed, and where's your hope going to go right back to, it's going to go right back to God, isn't that something, you start out with your hope in God, little by little, it migrates to money, but on your deathbed, nobody's going, oh man, just bring all my money, and let me clutch it in my last moments, you're on your deathbed going, oh God, my hope is in you. So you start out with your hope in God. It migrates to money. But on your deathbed, it goes back to God. All this is saying is, skip that middle part. Just keep it in God. Keep it locked in on God the whole way. Whatever money happens, keep it locked in on God. Because here's the deal. On your deathbed, if you've lived your life not rich toward God, on your deathbed, I believe God will forgive. I believe God is merciful. God is gracious. I believe that. But he won't allow time travel. He won't allow you to come back to this moment when you heard this sermon on St. Patrick's Day 2013 about the way you're living your life with your money and generosity. He won't allow you to come back to today and start over and relive it from that day until the deathbed. Does that make sense? I don't know what kind of choices you'll have at that point, but you have a choice today. Does that make sense? You have options to put your hope in God today. And so the people heard this. If If you hear that and go... Dude, I just came here. St. Patrick's Day. is like a happy Sunday. you tell me about my deathbed and all that stuff? Like if that shocks you, you're no different than the people who heard Luke 12. The people who heard Luke 12 said, what do we do? Like they ask him. You can read. They're like, what are we supposed to do? This is scary. And so Jesus said, I'll tell you what to do. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Store up for yourself some stuff in heaven. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Do it today. Now here's the thing. Years ago, I would have spent an hour, I would have spent so much time on sell your possessions and give to the poor. What can that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to take everything and sell it and then we'll be poor? In which case, other people are going to have to sell their stuff and give to us and we'll be rich again and then we got to sell our... Like, what do I do? Do I go to seminary and learn the Greek word for sell? And then I I go to NYU and get a master's in business on how the redistribution of wealth and what do we do with the global issues of poverty? I would have gone on and on. Surely, Jesus cannot mean sell all your possessions and give to the poor and this January it hit me and a guy told me this and I don't know how I've missed it for years and years and years I mean really some of you have heard me preach for over three or four years that is exactly what I would have done four years ago Jesus says sell your possessions and give to the poor and I would have taken a two hour sermon to tell you why surely Jesus could mean something other than sell your possessions and give to the poor but then in January this guy says uh, he says you know Tom there's a faster way than all that stuff like you're studying it you're thinking about it and all that stuff but I promise, you know what would be easier? Just go to this one website. One website. That's all you need to know about sell your possessions and give to the poor. He said, that's it. <laughs> and so I did. <clears throat> so you got two choices when it comes to the words of Jesus. For some of you scratching your head wondering where I'm going you got two choices when it comes to the words of Jesus. You can explain them away, or just go try them. And so I did. And uh, three weeks ago, I, for the first time, went to eBay to sell something. This is what I did. I looked around my house, and I said, what is my treasure? My treasure is my overflow. And I found literal overflow. Not literal, I can't believe. I found really close to literal overflow. Let me explain. I have a Netflix account. Not the cool one where you can stream stuff on demand. The one where you put it in the mail. I got that one. But I got it. I have a Netflix account. That means I have access. Do you know how many DVDs I have access to? Gazillions, right? Then I realized I have seasons two. I own seasons two, seasons three, and seasons four of The Office. Okay? I'm sorry. Uh, They were given to me and I, you know, whatever. Now... Uh, I mean, they're great, but uh, nobody has time to watch that because, you know, you have, you, you get, you, with the circus that is our house, you, there's no time. So Seasons 2, they're still in the shrink wrap. And this is what I realized. That is literal overflow. Like, some people have to sell something and they give it away and, oh, they'll never get it again. I can sell it and I literally still own it through my Netflix subscription. If I want Seasons 2, 3, and 4 of the... If I ever want to watch them, I, like, I'm not even selling anything. It's, I still own it. Does that make sense? So I thought, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Here are some possessions. Season two, season three, season four. I've never done this before. It took me 14 minutes. And I'm not a tech savvy dude. You can ask, you know, ask James. He's over here like iPhone. I've ju- I just sold your house. You know, whatever. But for me, I, right? I'm not tech savvy. It took me 14 minutes to put those things on eBay. I took, with my phone, camera, phone, I took a picture. It took me 14 minutes and uh, was able to uh, list them on eBay. And I'm proud to announce Uh, That I received a grand total from those three DVDs of twenty one dollars and eighteen cents Yeah, and the fees are all gone and I took the $21.18 and have given it to a ministry at our church that affects the poor and needy. But you don't have to give it to your church. You say, oh, this is something. What is this, uh, like electronic bake sale? and y'all are... Give it to Compassion. Give it to World Vision. I, I don't care. Give it, to, give it to the poor. Literally give it to the poor. Okay? I gave $21.18. Now, I learned more about sell your possessions and give to the poor in those 14 minutes than I did in all my years of trying to understand what could he mean by sell your possessions and give to the poor. And many of you are looking at that and go, but you didn't sell all your possessions. Well, th- th- that's not what it says. It just says sell your possessions. And you didn't, you didn't solve the world's poverty. No, but I, I gave it to the poor. That's what I did. And here's the thing. It wasn't the money that changed. It was the mindset. Suddenly, I'm looking at my stuff going, there's a lot of overflow in my life, right? To the point where Katie's like, gardener stuff, like, it's not over. But I'm looking around going, this is easy. Why would I not convert DVDs into food? That's in my power, Today! Like, that wasn't hard. That was 14 minutes. Okay, in an extra 15 minutes, I had to go to the post office and ship it. It, You understand what I'm saying? That was doable. That was it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Why? So that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because some of you are like, "Ah, you cheated, man. You didn't even talk about heaven. You just talked about giving a bunch of money. Uh, Do you understand how these are connected? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And what does Jesus say? And you will lay up for yourselves purses that don't wear out. A treasure in heaven. He literally connects those dots. I wonder if in the glorified new heaven and new earth, I'll have some version of those DVDs waiting for me. I used to explain this principle to eighth graders. And I'm going to tell you this what I'm about to tell you, if this is the only theology you have about rewards in heaven, I'm going to tell you right now, you could do a lot worse. Than what I'm about to tell you. I believe you could do a lot worse than the simple example, of what I'm about to tell you. When you go to the new heaven, new earth, you're going to have a glorified body. Presumably, that glorified body is going to need a place to live. You with me? Jesus said, I go to prepare many rooms for you, okay? Heaven is not sitting up on a cloud like James's cartoon last week. Wish I'd brought a magazine, right? We're going to be using these glorified bodies. Presumably, we'll need a place to live. Jesus says, I'm going to give you many rooms. So when you go uh, in this glorified body, maybe you'll need some clothes. Imagine, and this is the illustration I use for eighth graders, but imagine this whole idea of lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You go and you open your wardrobe there in your new room. And you're going, this glorified body's going to need some glorified clothes up in here. Let's see, right? Let's see what it is. And you open up and you start looking and you've got a you've got a pretty good wardrobe, but then sudden, suddenly something hits you. They all sort of look familiar. And you look closely and you suddenly realize, wait a minute, I've seen these clothes before. And they are the resurrected, glorified version of, you notice, of only the clothes you gave away here on earth. And so you look at them and you're like, right, now be honest, how many of you would be proud of your wardrobe? That's the only question. Because some of you would look at it and go, you'd go, Oh man, I remember giving away that. Prada, Gucci, right? You'd be, uh, and some of you'd be like, Syracuse InterVarsity, 1984, you know? Airbrushed t shirt from Panama City Beach, right? And that's all you got. The stuff that doesn't fit anymore, the stuff you didn't like, it had a few holes, and you tossed it out, you see? And so you walk out with your ill fitting clothes because that's all you ever gave away. And there you see Mother Teresa walking by with like Sean John and rock and big chains, like, right? Why? Because she understood this treasure principle, you can't take it with you, man. There's never been a hearse with a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. And how do you send it on ahead? Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Right? If you literally, I've got eighth graders that left that I taught in youth ministry that I taught that to this day they say, Hey, Tom, I just want to let you know I gave away my old truck because I want to have something to drive when I get up there. You can sell, now listen, you can tell me, right? I gave away, I actually gave away my old Jeep. the same. I'm going to leak oil all over the streets of gold. You can tell me, you can tell me that that eighth grader has an immature understanding. But I'm going to tell you, you could do a lot worse. Because you know what caught, I've never seen generosity. I'm talking about radical generosity, right? I've never seen it take root from the soil of guilt. And that's what a lot of preachers, that's where they come at this whole issue. Look, here's some needy children. Don't you feel guilty? Hey, God has blessed you with riches. Here's, here's God's command to you who are rich hang your head and feel guilty. Just feel guilty. That's, that's as good as, that is the robust theology of wealth in the Bible. It's not in there, it's not in the Bible. Over and over again, what does he say? Take that wealth and leverage it for the kingdom, lay it ahead generosity, radical generosity, will never take root in guilt. And it won't take root in need, in a sense of need. Look at the need. Look at the need of the world. Radical generosity takes root when somebody says, you know, God's plan is more than just burn this whole earth to the ground. God's plan is for you to lay these things ahead, that in their glorified state, you're going to see Him again. Those those children who have radical generosity, I mean, they're adults now, who are giving away cars, right? What are they doing? They're laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, Now, I, I told you I would get back to this at the very end. It's the last thing I'll say. Um... Isn't that, isn't that just a little selfish though? Like for me to give away that car just so I could have one in heaven, you know, is that a little selfish? Well, not if I want to give you a ride, in there. But but, I sort of get the point that that could be a little selfish. And here's why I don't think it is. Um, uh, first of all, I gave you my, my my less than fully mature understanding. But if you want a more mature understanding of the reward system in heaven, try this one on. What will the rewards be in heaven? Jonathan Edwards had this theory, and it certainly predates Jonathan Edwards, and uh, I think Spurgeon picked it up. The idea of containers. Here we are back where we started, the very end of containers. This is their idea. When it comes to rewards in heaven, think of it this way. Some of you are going to have a big reward in heaven, and some of you are going to have a small reward in heaven. But the first thing we think is, well, is, that won't be heaven then. For the guy with smaller reward, he's going like, to have an eternity to be like, I wish I had more rewards. Like, does, that, does, that make, does that question make sense? Like, well, how does that work then? Edwards would say this. Think of your reward as your receptacle, right, your container. And Edwards would say something like, those of you with big reward, right, those who gave right here in City on a Hill Church, those who gave, they ministered in the background, they were quiet, nobody ever celebrated them, nobody ever knew what they were doing, but little by little, they gave percentage. By the way, percentage impresses God, not amounts. That's one of the biggest reasons we don't grow in generosity is because suddenly we give bigger amounts and we go, dude, I was never able to give this much. But meanwhile, your percentages have gotten maybe even smaller. And so, these people who give massive percentages, and there they are with this big container, meanwhile, somebody else didn't give as much, they have a small container. Everybody there is full of God's glory. Everybody's container is full. Everybody's container is full to the point of overflowing. But some are able to receive more and have a deeper and even better understanding of the glory of God to enjoy Him more freely forever. Does that make sense? Everybody's happy, everybody's full. Uh, The simple example I use is my eight-year-old nephew and I could both sit down and watch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, the C.S. Lewis movie. And we could both watch it. Would we not both be delighted by this movie? Like, he would watch it and be like, that was awesome! High five! And I would be like, that was awesome. I love that movie. And my eight-year-old nephew, his container, right? He's full to overflowing. He's going, that was awesome. There was like a lion and he overthrew the witch and Edmund was a dum-dum, you know, right? And like this awesome story, he's like overflowing. But I'm doing the same thing. That was awesome. It was the lion and the witch. But don't you see the lion represents Christ and he overthrew sin and Edmund was me and he died on that stone table for me and for my salvation. We're both full to overflowing. But my, res- my ability to comprehend is just a little bigger. It's like I can appreciate it even, even more. Does that make sense? He's not unhappy, and I'm not unhappy. But we want to store up for ourselves treasures that we can receive all the glory of God that we possibly can. That's it. So much more. So much better than eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, when it comes to laying up treasures in heaven, start now. Randy Alcorn uses this illustration. If the musicians want to come and and, uh, uh, just... I'm going to finish out this last illustration. Randy Alcorn hits the nail on the head, as he so often does. You heard James mention Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, last week. And uh, uh, so I'm just sort of quoting. I I agree. I think he gets it par excellence. I think if you want the standard book on heaven, go to Randy Alcorn's book conveniently titled Heaven. Uh, In that book or in the Treasure Principle 1, he uses the following illustration. Say your company comes to you and says... Uh, I'm sorry to do this. I know you got a family, and I know you're in the middle of building your dream house right here on Long Island, but we're going to transfer you, transfer you to another country. We're going to transfer you to France. You're going to work out of our Paris office. Right? And so you say, we, and go to uh, 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 Paris, and there you are. And this is Alcorn's illustration. You're building your dream home right here in Long Island, right? You are, your whole family's right here in Long Island, and now you've been transferred, and it breaks your heart, and you're there, but you're there in Paris, right? Here's Alcorn's question. How much money are you going to sink into upgrading and improving your hotel room in Paris? I mean, how many euros are you going to spend going, let me redecorate that, let me get the best possible Peugeot car I can get you know I'll get the one that's like three feet long instead of two I want to get the, like I want to get the best stuff in the world right here no 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 you would get just enough for your daily croissant you would get just enough to get you through that day and you're, as far as a hotel room you would just look for something that could could keep you warm at night that was relatively safe what do you do? why what do you because do? you are sending every dollar every euro you are cashing it into U S dollars and you are sending it back home why. Because where your treasure go, treasure always, heart follows. And where your treasure is, that's where my home is. You understand? I'd be a fool to upgrade my standard of living on this fading like a flower few years I have left on this earth. When heaven for eternity awaits me. That's it. If If you walk out of here and you heard me, that was a sermon on tithing and I need to give 10%. What a lame version of what I tried to say. I'm trying to show you there is an epic this is real and these rewards are real why oh God just grant me the perception to see like you see that I can trust I'm living in this hotel and I want to send everything to my heart's true home to that to that home isn't that something when somebody dies we often say man you know they're off in the far country and it really breaks the hearts of those of us who are left at home but that's not true we are here in the far country those who die are home Those who awake on the holy shores of uncreated light. It's they who are home. Right? Now how how that works is simple. Uh, He, Jesus, came from home to the far country. You see, he invaded planet earth to redeem for himself a people. You and me. That he could do what? Let not your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am you may be also. At the end of the day, it's God who is our reward. It's God who is our treasure. And God is just another word for home. You see, He made this possible by His own Son's death on the cross. And uh, this morning we're going to take uh, the Lord's Supper in just a slightly different way. We always try to meditate on the Lord's Supper. Today is no different. But we're going to meditate with a different uh, means. And we've got a music uh, track that's going to play. And before the music starts, there is a um, Oh, we changed it up? So, but there'll be music here. Even better. Will you just take a moment and reflect on what uh, you've heard today? The ushers know how to lead the people to the table, and so just follow their, follow their leadership. They'll get you here to the table in a reverent way. 1 Corinthians 11 says, The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is given for you. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to proclaim the Lord's death today and every Sunday until he comes. And then one day we won't need a supper of remembrance. We'll just see him, won't we? Father, we thank you. Oh God, that you have not just prepared a place for us, but you have given us in this life great wealth and great leverage that we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And I pray, oh God, for hearts that could follow the example of these young little eighth graders that I was teaching that are now giving away cars with the absolute assurance they will see that car again. Give me the faith like that child, God, that I may treat everything I have in this hotel room of earth as a way of preparing for when you recreate the new heaven and the new earth. Every act of kindness, every even if I don't give a car away, if I use it for your glory, oh God, I know, I know you're gonna do something with that in the glorified world you're preparing. God, give us an eternal perspective on wealth. That we could be rich in good deeds and have an overflow that can appreciate how much you're trying to bless us. Thank you for the good gifts. Thank you, oh God, that you became poor. You were born into poverty, literally, that we might be made rich with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers will prepare. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.